center of the yard, the stone and mortar well with its rusty water pump and bucket for hauling acts as a sundial when it reaches 7 a.m. this morning, that big year for the boys, 1893. And if it weren't for that well, there's definitely no way nor need to ever tell what time it is currently in Black River Falls, Wisconsin. Inside the Raskolnovich family cabin, Stan and their bright husky dog lay on a rug in front of the fireless stove. Stan is the big spoon to dog's little metal, and if huskies were able to smile for miles and dream sugar dreams, this here, it's absolutely one most greatly pleased pure pup's dream. Yet the eldest brother, Leshek, he's not dreaming. He stands over them, drinking well water from the one and only Beerstein Janecki left, the man responsible for their formation. He brought that mug all the way from their sad Slavic home back in Krakow. But today, Leszek's merely 11 and he has no desire to be drinking his dead dad's beer from his dead Polish home, Beerstein. I'm not dead fuck, don't need it. The eldest son, Leszek, matter-of-factly thinks to himself. The rank smell of beer their farm brewed would just remind him of his father's crude corpse. He'd be reminded of the stench from their pastoral patriarch rotting as we speak on the compost heap under a shallow grave of corn husks and two mounds of potatoes that got some kind of disease. This while, the steam of summer rises outside, humid and sticky, and Leshek thinks to himself, Whoa. It's really just us. Why can't I sleep? I got to sleep. My mind keeps twerping like a damn bird. What are we gonna do? I don't know when to turn the crops and all the farms things that he never taught me. Them shits never. The fucking asshole. so scared and he didn't believe it was me. It was me. Leszek. The one that's gonna make it so that he doesn't hurt anyone. Hey old shitbag dad. Don't you come back now, you hear? Stan then opens his eyes and quits his dog spooning, turning away from the stove and leaves a little toot of flatulence while he rolls over to meet the watch of his older brother standing surveillance alone. At first, I said, oh shits to myself, but now that I got a good picture, you look nothing like Janeki. Well, that's good, cause I was looking at shoes and wondering if we has to kill anyone again, and I knows like crows that's not gonna be this guy standing. (laughs) 
you try, varmint. Just you try, varmint. What the fuck's a varmint? Oh, I don't know. It's, uh... Well, I knows it ain't no angel. <laughs> and they both laugh. That mordant, suppressed, gut laugh. That laugh that's been hiding out in their souls these late seven years. But the laughs cease, and then the silence begins. So Stan and Dog slowly lurch forward in a morning meander out the front door to urinate singly off the steps. When Senislaw slings over his shoulder a question for the cabin. What's we gonna eat? Well, we can keep getting them eggs. I was thinking about that, but... What else I'm thinking? Stan stops his urine stream to see what his brother means when the ship continues. Who's that dirty varmint on my front door? Is it that no good sheriff Wudseats on my Winnebago lands? What's you doing now? Who is that varmint, white man? Who is that varmint white man with his badge and horse and six-shooter? What's he doing, white man, on my good people's land? I'm not the sheriff! Lashek, you knows that! Oh, I knows nothing, white man, but that you will pay for your crimes with blood. And with that declaration, Lashek playfully growls a low growl that swells to a whooping howl and then bolts, full tilt, right off the porch at his younger brother. Bang, 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 bang! And as the sun sluggishly rises, the brothers play this game tirelessly, and they'll play this game forever. Or at least until the Winnebago's get what's coming to them, or that white man dies many a death. Lucia continues to ponder in this manner. She thinks, that sound, it must be a chicken coop with woke chickens. Now she can hear them. And she remembers in her housing, back with her mother, there was that old lady that Lucia had never been confident enough to greet. She's dead now, that woman. And her name was Myrna. She lived alone across the hall. And it's from there. That's where that sound came. Chickens. You see, Myrna secretly kept two chickens no one ever saw. Lucia's mother said that it was just a gypsy thing, so mind your own and don't say anything to anyone. 
which came effortlessly for the little lady Lucia, for she never made a peep to anyone, really. Exceptions held, of course, for her mother and most of her teachers. Such a shy one she is, our little Maria Alvarez. But now panic creeps to the very edge of her mind because she cannot move her arms. The Arctic-ready sleeping bag she is zipped in, pins her arms depressingly close tight, and then she discovers that her bag is cinched tight with bungee cords. She thinks it looks like some squishy baby blue cocoon that someone tied up with Christmas night lights. It's actually quite remarkable that she doesn't panic. But it's mostly because she can't seem to remember how she got there. And those chickens, they're clucking. Distraction. Him. Him. No. no. She remembers the man, Mr. M, and she writhes and cries and is so befuddled, even more today than yesterday, when she was captured by her captor. And, but he's definitely not present in this tent. And there's so much space on the floor that nine more of her could fit in there. Oh, somehow that makes it even more choking. Such absence. So she screams for help but only half as much as she screamed the day before because today she realizes there's no one to hear she feels just those chickens and that quiets her even though there's no need to be quiet she knows no one can hear her and it's such a daunting epiphany <laughs> she finally gets over her grief she utters shit now she may be an introvert lucia but she's also precocious enough for an eight-year-old that she can adeptly drop an expletive in its correct form and with astute emphatic purpose but she returns to crying deep sobs that make her blue cocoon cough and twitch and shudder with despair so she lies there, twined in tight on her back, and now her tears fall down and pool down through into her ears. So frustrating she can't hear her own cries, she starts to rock back and forth enough to get enough momentum to finally lie on her side so gravity can take her tears away from her as she shakes them out of her ears. She thinks about her mother. She thinks about how they're down in Fraggle Rock. And she wonders if that's where she's down now too. And then she thinks about the chickens again. But there's no chickens down in Fraggle Rock. Maybe with the ogres, yes. The ogres, they have chickens. And so does Old MacDonald. 
So this must be a farm with all these chickens. See, all this she stitches together it for herself in her head. And then, oh yes, Mr. N's peppermint breath. Gag. See, all these thoughts too, they just loop for ages until she realizes she has to pee again. But then she unabashedly gives in. It takes about a half an hour for the urine to soak thoroughly through. And it brings a brand new world of torture, being wet with her own piss in this post-blizzard snow temperature depth. But all she may do is lie there on her side, shiver and cry, until it seems that all time and everything she's ever known has died. Then she hears a car crawl up and crunch frozen snow in its steady approach. She can only dread it to be him. But she's also not been able to cease shivering for so long now that her body literally is throbbing from the labor of keeping her organs core going. And then, cutting into her panic, she hears the engine die, and she feels like Mr. N has deliberately parked directly beside the tent, so close that if you wanted, you could just reach right out and touch the car through the tent walls. This vehicle is not her mother's familiar family wagon, she realizes, but it looks huge from inside, looming its large shadow. Everything is now casting shadows, actually. When she hears the cronk, cronk of approaching steps of Mr. N, he then appears. By zipping open the tent's entrance, he enters and then seals himself in. She stares at him, literally frozen. What are you? And before Lucia can finish her whimper, Mr. N deftly lowers himself to the tent's frigid floor, bundled deep in his camouflage hunting garb. He lies down in the center of the tent, but directly beside Lucia. If he could hold her hand, they would, most definitely. They're that close. But they just stare together, silently, up at the tent's converging seam, side by side, breathing. The breath looks as if it's their souls trying to escape out of their mouths. What's that smell? Lucia bites her tongue in shame, ready to utterly implode out of existence. It's okay, little one. Very good work on being quiet, like a black dot. Now, let's get you some clean clothes, okay? So he begins to untie her and free her from her pea-soaked constriction. And while doing so, he whispers, Lucia, in order for this to work, we're going to have to help each other. 